I bring you greetings from the Church of God in South India. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, in fact, the last two Sundays, I was speaking there as a part of the 115th uh, consecutive camp meeting of the Church of God there. They began in 1905. And as a part of the 40th graduation or commencement exercises for the Asia Bible College. I want to thank... Uh, Dr. Carl Addison and Michael Thigpen for preaching sermons that are better than anything I would have preached to you if I was here in town, all right? These guys were awesome. Would you help me thank them for what they did here the last couple of weeks? If you're new, if you began coming to Eastside after first of the year, my name's Kerry. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. I left on January 2nd and headed to South India, and I'll talk to you a little bit about that today. Uh, about what it means to live your life connected to God and to see God at work in lots of places. I, uh, I was raised in a family that uh, I, I didn't know uh, my, either of my grandfathers or one of my grandmother because they died uh, before I was born or when I was a toddler. So I grew up with one grandparent, my grandma Tony. My grandma Tony was four foot nine on a good day, um, and she was a giant. I mean, she, she could take people out um, at, at that little height. Um, she lived by herself on a hillside, um, really what we call a knob in eastern Kentucky, um, until she was 94 years old when one of my aunts finally convinced her uh, to come and live with her. Um, she buried my grandfather, her husband, when she was in her 50s, um, and then went back to school and became a nurse in order to care for other people as her way of dealing with her own loss and her own grief. When she was 90 years old, the family threw her a, a massive birthday party. Um, we all gathered in, all 27 grandkids, all six of her children and their spouses, and uh, lots of people from her community. The church that she worshiped at actually began in her living room. Um, and so she was well-loved, and just really, we threw a great big party. What I remember about that party on her 90th birthday was that... Um, she um, was sitting there in the middle of all of us grandchildren, and one of my cousins asked the question, Grandma, you're 90 years old. If you had it to do all over again, is there anything you would do differently? I mean, Grandma, come on. You got your driver's license through the mail. You just didn't even have to take a test, all right? You just wrote in, they sent you a driver's license. Um, you, you've seen the world go from literally horses and buggies to jets um, and spacecraft and all of that. What would, what would you do differently in your life that would help us as we're living our life? And that little lady sat there for a minute. She took this long, long pause. And she said, you know what? I don't think I'd do anything different. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a teenage girl. And I told Jesus that whatever he asked me to do, I would do that. And sometimes I've not done it as well as I should have done it. And sometimes I've failed. But all the time I've tried to live my life doing what Jesus asked me to do. I'll be honest with you. All the cousins looked at each other and went, eh, we can't beat that. <laughs> I 
That just, I mean, if I, ever, if I make it to 90 years of age, I, I would love to be able to make that same statement because I gave my life to Jesus as a teenage boy. And this morning, as we're launching into this series called Life, I've been thinking about my grandmother because I have been looking at this passage that talks about what it means to know that Jesus is real. It's a passage written by a man who, like my grandmother, lived to be past 90 years of age. His name was John. He had a brother named James, older brother. The father's name was Zebedee. Now, Zebedee owned a, a fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. James and John worked in the family business. They were fishermen. They had a, a friend named Peter. And, and James and John and Peter would catch the fish and then bring it to the shore. And then they would prepare it for the market and sell it to the people. It was a, a mainstay in the diet there in, in Israel. And they made quite good money at it. In fact, they were quite good fishermen. They, they were known as the sons of thunder because they were always boisterous and they were always loud and they were always taking things by the horns and they were gonna make things happen in their life until one day, one, one day they were cleaning their nets. They had fished all night long. They hadn't caught anything. And their buddy Peter, who was in the business with them, was over in his boat, and, and this teacher, this, uh, this guy named Jesus from a little town called Nazareth, was teaching people, and a crowd was gathering. Now, they, they had met Jesus. Uh, Peter had actually brought Jesus home from, from the synagogue one Sabbath to, to fix a meal for them. Um, and, 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 and Jesus, when he came into the house preparing for a meal, uh, Peter's mother-in-law was actually sick, and she was the one who was supposed to make the food. And, and so Peter's like, my mother-in-law's sick. We don't have any food. Would you pray for her to get well? And Jesus healed her immediately, and she rose up and prepared the meal. And, and James and John were like, hey, that's a, that's a pretty sharp carpenter. He's a pretty good guy guy, and, and now they're there cleaning their nets, and, and this carpenter-turned-teacher is teaching throngs of people who are just pressing up against him. And so he says to, to their buddy Peter, hey, would you, uh, would you let me borrow your boat? And so Peter takes the boat and lets Jesus get in it, and he pushes it out just a little bit away from the shore, and now Jesus can talk to the people, and, and Jesus talks to the people, and James and John, they're still over there just cleaning their nets and kind of listening and seeing what's going on, and, and then they hear Jesus turn to Peter and say, hey, did you catch any fish last night? And Peter's like, well, no, not really. That uh, We didn't catch much. We fished all night long. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, put your boat out. Now, I can almost hear John saying to his brother James, that carpenter doesn't know a thing. <laughs> I mean, we, you don't fish in the middle of the day. We know what we're doing. And, and yet Peter patronized him a little bit, and they went out. And then it happened. Then then Peter began to yell for John and for James. Hey, guys, come over here. There's more fish than I can get in my boat. And so they very quickly threw the nets in their boat and they took the other boat out and, and they're filling all their boats with fish. And, and, and then in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all that, they all realized this, this carpenter really is pretty smart. This carpenter really is good. And, and then Jesus says this amazing thing to them. He says, hey, guys, listen, you know how to catch fish. That's how you make it living. But what I know is I know how to catch people. 
And I'm going to ask you to step up from, from catching fish to catching people. I'm going to ask you to step up from living a life that's already predisposed and predescribed by the fact that your father is a fisherman and now you're a fisherman. Like my dad was a carpenter and now I'm a carpenter. I want you to step out of that paradigm into a place where you come with me and we learn what life is really like. And from that day on, from that day on, John's life was never, ever the same. I mean, he watched Jesus turn water into wine. He watched Jesus take blind people and make them see, deaf people and make them hear. He watched Jesus touch and pray for for people whose legs were crippled and deformed and now suddenly they could rise up and they could walk and, and, and he saw Jesus do amazing things like calm the sea. His life, his life was never, ever the same. And he lived a long, long life. And he was there with Jesus. I mean, everything Jesus did for the next three years, John was there. I mean, John was there when Lazarus came out of the grave. John was there when the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up with questions about theology and the Bible. John John was there when they arrested Jesus. John was there with Jesus when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane so intently that that sweat fell like great drops of blood from his head. John was there on the Mount of Transfiguration where, where Jesus suddenly had this encounter with Elijah and Moses and, 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 and John was there. He was there when Jesus was arrested. He was there when Jesus was tried falsely. He was there when Jesus was hung on a cross. We know he was there because, because the Bible tells us that Jesus looked down from the cross and looked at John, his beloved disciple, and said, John, look, man, it's my responsibility as the oldest child to take care of my mother. But John, I I want you to take care of my mother. John was there when Jesus screamed his last breath, it is finished. John was there when they took his body off the cross, took him into a borrowed tomb from a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. John was there three days later when when the women came running from the tomb and said, hey, Jesus is alive. He's not there anymore. John John was there. John ran with Peter to the empty tomb. John was there and looked at it. John was there on the, the night when Jesus showed up. And Thomas wasn't there, but everybody else was. John was there when Jesus said, hey, meet me in Galilee. I've got some stuff I want to tell you guys. And for the next 40 days, Jesus taught them. John, John was there when Peter preached at Pentecost. John, John was with Peter on the way into the temple in Jerusalem when, when Peter said to a guy who was begging on the side of the road, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. John was there. And John outlived everybody else who was there. He outlived Peter. He outlived his brother James. He, he outlived the apostle Paul. John John lived into his 90s. And near the end of his life, like we asked my grandmother, what would you do differently on her 90th birthday? 
The church asked John, John, you knew Jesus. You've walked with him. You've spent your life. Your life was changed by him. So John, John, would you tell us what is Jesus like? And, and, and John began to write. But by that time, he was living near Ephesus. All the Christians had been dispersed out of Jerusalem with some persecution years earlier. And now near the end of the first century, John sets down, pen to paper, and, and he begins to talk about who this Jesus is and, and why Jesus changed his life and why Jesus can change our lives. And, and the reason I tell you the story this morning is because I think we're living in a world in which somehow we've taken away the credibility of the story. Somehow we've got people telling us that the Bible isn't true or that only their version of the Bible is true. We've got people who are questioning, is God real? And you may look at me and say, oh, pastor, that's right, because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, 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 you don't understand. They were asking the same thing in the first century that they're asking in the 21st century. I mean, all the stuff, all the political stuff, all the, all the sociological stuff, all the psychological stuff, it's been around since the first century. Go read some of the books and see the pictures of the archaeological digs in the Middle East. I mean, come on. You think Rome was a moral state? Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's moral. There's a whole lot of immorality. And it's been here for 21 centuries. So actually, John sets down and begins to tell people in the first century what we need to know in the 21st century. He wants us to know this, that Jesus is the source of all life. He wants us to know that. And so when he begins writing, he, he starts out writing a gospel. We call it the Gospel of John. It's, it's one of the four gospels in the New Testament. And, and, and he's writing and he starts with these words. Listen, in the beginning was the word. By the way, that's Jesus. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. See, what John, in his old age, looking back on his life, wants anybody who will listen to know is that Jesus is the source of life. And for those of us who've lived a few years down the road, those of us who've seen some twists and turns in the road, we understand that without Jesus, <laughs> that, that there, there is no life. Oh yeah, there's a way of existence. I mean, yeah, there, there are some things that promise life, but they don't deliver. There, there are there are things that we see that, that, that entice us and pull us and draw us and promise us life, but, but only Jesus delivers life. Because you see, in the beginning, there was Jesus. In, in the beginning, when God made the world, Jesus was there. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. And nothing that has ever existed was made without him. 
So as we start looking at our life in the 21st century, as we start taking and forgive, it, it's cheesy, I know, but as we get a 2020 vision and a 2020 year, we need to understand something. Without Jesus, there's no life. But with Jesus, there is life. And so in Jesus, we, we can find the source. In Jesus, we can understand. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna look at these words that John wrote we're gonna look at the things that he said about who Jesus is. Because you see, he didn't just write down the gospel story. He didn't just write down the things he had seen and heard Jesus do. No, no he actually reflected on it a little bit. And, and a few years later, he, he wrote a letter to the people of God, the, the Christians gathered in a, in a place called Ephesus and, and, and then around the area. And, and it's recorded in your New Testament as 1 John. It, it's, a, it's a letter that... <laughs> that has an interesting rhythm to it. For those of you who are musicians, it's, it's written kind of like a symphony. A symphony is a place where there are themes that happen in the music and, and then the author drifts away from the themes and then comes back to the theme and drifts away and then comes back and, and by coming back over and over again makes the point. That, that's what John does in 1 John. He lets us know that, that Jesus is the source and, and then get this, he lets us know that Jesus, Jesus is someone we can experience in our life. He's someone that, that isn't just a historic figure. He's someone we can know and experience if we will, if we will, if we will open ourselves to him. He says it this way. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See, he starts the gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And everything was created, was created through Jesus. And now, years later, he's reflecting and he's looking and he said, you know what? Here's what I know. What I know is that what I saw and what I heard and what I experienced, it was real. I can tell you authentically, Jesus is real. That's what John's saying. But can I also tell you this? We live in a world where people want to doubt that. Uh, people want to doubt whether or not God is real. People want to argue about whether or not Jesus was really the son of God. But when you have an experience, no one can argue with your experience. And when a 90-plus-year-old guy is looking back over a lifetime, he's outlived all of his peers, outlived all of his contemporaries, outlived all the other apostles, and now he's saying, you know what, here's what I want you to know. You want to know about who Jesus is? Let me just tell you this. What I saw, what I heard, what I touched, it was real. When I got to, to Kochi, India on January the 4th at 1 a.m., after leaving Chicago, Illinois, on January the 2nd at 8 a.m. Because, yeah, that's right. They're 10 and a half hours ahead of us, and it was a 36-hour trip. I love that 16-hour flight. Somebody asked me, said, how in the world? That was just one leg of the journey. And somebody asked me, said, so how did it feel to fly over the ocean? I don't know. You don't go to India across the ocean in an airplane. You go across the North Pole. I looked at the flight tracker on the thing. We're headed up north and then back down. I think I went over Siberia somewhere. And we arrived there, and my host, 
who met us at the airport, picked us up in an Uber. I love that. I went to India and got an Uber ride. <laughs> Showed up, stayed at the YMCA. You know, YMCA. And, uh, and we're there about 1 a.m., che- their time, checking in. And uh, he says to me, um, hey, I need you to come with me on a little trip. Do you mind coming? Um, we're going to need to drive about five hours. I said, you mind me sleeping in the car? He said, no, don't, don't mind that at all. He said, but we need to go out into the country. Now, last time I was in Kochi, India, a couple of years ago, with my same host, I never left the city. I'm telling you, the city there is a beautiful city. Three to four million people. They've got a metro. They've got a mall. They've got multiple malls. I love the one that's called Lulu, the Lulu Mall. You go in, it's got an ice skating rink in equatorial India, all right? I mean, the last couple of Sundays I've preached in 80-degree weather without air conditioning. I'm really missing it this morning, I'll tell you. And, uh, and he says, look, I, I just want you to know we need to go out into the country. There's this, there's this pastor, and he's, uh, he, he's wanting us to look at his ministry. And, and I've not been there before, but I've got a driver who will t- take us. And, and so I, I, I think we should go. It'll take about five hours. Yeah, he was optimistic. It was seven after traveling for 36, he said, oh, and by the way, it's 1.30 a.m. I'll be back at 8 o'clock to pick you up. So I dozed a little bit and then got in the car with him and, and headed out on what became a seven-hour drive across mountains that looked like my grandmother's place in eastern Kentucky, except for the fact that you don't have spider monkeys in the road there. You don't have cows. Well, you do have cows in the road sometimes in Kentucky, but, but, uh, but goats laying in the road and trucks. And, and by the way, they, they drive on the left-hand side. Did I mention that? This is, a, this, is a, uh, this is a former British colony in India, and so they drive on the left-hand side. And, uh, and the steering wheel's in the wrong place, just to let you know that. And, and so the steering wheel's in the wrong place, and they're driving on the wrong side of the road, and I'm just an ugly American. And... Um, and, and, and we're going out, and we're going through all this twist and turn, and, and, and we, we finally get to this place. We drive seven hours to have a two-hour meeting. I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get back into the city before it's time to preach the next morning? And, uh, and he turns around and says, okay, we're headed back. Now it's dark. There are not lights on those roads. This is not an interstate. These are two-lane roads. These are mountain roads. I know mountain roads from Tennessee and Kentucky. They look just like that, only we're on the wrong side of the road. Did I mention that? And, and, and they don't just pass. They, they honk before they pass. In fact, every, sign, every truck has a big thing, big gas tankers, all of that, things with huge things of wood on them. On the back, it says, honk before you turn. And so what they do is they honk and they have a system of how much they hit their horn and then that lets the truck driver know that you're coming around. And the truck driver's supposed to let you know if there's something else coming at you. So you honk, they honk, you pass, or you honk, they honk, 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 and you don't pass. And we've already been on the road. Like I say, I've traveled 36 hours. I had about five hours sleep. I'm now in a seven-hour drive over, a two-hour meeting with a pastor. And now I'm in a car, and we're headed back in the dark, on the wrong side of the road, in the mountains. And when he starts passing cars. And I'm like, I'm going to die. 
And can I tell you something? There was one moment that I was so tired, I just dozed off. And just as I'm dozing off, I hear him honk. I'm like, okay, we're going right. And then I hear the honk from the, from the, the truck. And then I feel the car moving out to go around the truck because we're whatever side we're going on. I mean, because you, by the way, that's the other thing. You honk, you pass on whichever side you want, okay? It, I mean, this side, that side, wherever you go. And, and, and so he honks, the truck honks, and I'm kind of half asleep. And then all of a sudden I hear a different horn. And it's honk, 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 honk. And I open my eyes and there are two, two headlights headed straight to the front of our car. And I'm gonna tell you something. I experienced Jesus in that moment. If you, don't want to, if you don't think you experience Jesus, try that. You will experience Jesus. You will pray very quickly. Jesus, I think I'm not going back to the States. I think I'm going to die right here. And some of you go, oh, Pastor, you're being overdramatic. Yeah, I know. But some of you have got some trucks in your life. Some of you have got some stuff going on, and it feels just like that. Your doctor's told you something. Your spouse has told you they're leaving. Your kids have told you to just go jump off a cliff. We don't believe what you believe. You've got people in your family making choices that hurt. You've, you've lost your business. You've got all kinds of things, and you're beginning to wonder, is Jesus real? Can Jesus really change my life? Is, is this really my Here's what John's telling you. John says, in the beginning, there was Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was with God. And, and, and in the beginning... Everything that was made, Jesus spoke it into being. And, and what I want you to know, John says, in his, at the end of his life, looking back over a half a century of living with Jesus or more, and he says, you know what? Jesus is real, and you can experience him. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to you in the 21st century. He is here. He is real. And he knows you by name. You wanna know what life is really like? You'll never know it until you experience Jesus. You'll never know life until you know Jesus. Oh, you'll know a fake life. You'll know something that looks like life. You'll know something that sounds like life. You'll know something that other people say, wow, I wish I had that life. But unless you know Jesus, you don't know life. That's where life starts. That's what John says to us. That which I saw, that which I heard, that, that which was, that was, was made manifest among us, that, that, that's, that's what I know. Jesus was real. I saw him, John says. I, I touched him. I heard him. And, I, and he's not just talking about before the crucifixion. He, he's saying, look, Jesus, Jesus is life. And you can experience him. And when you do, when you experience Jesus, he, he came to give you a relationship with God. Look, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What does he mean manifest? It means he made it real. He knows that Jesus came, that Jesus is real, and that Jesus wants you to experience him so that in experiencing Jesus, you will gain a relationship with God, the creator and the sustainer of everything. See, without Jesus, you, you may know about God, but you won't know God. Uh, without Jesus, you may study about God, but you won't know God. 
Without Jesus, you may, you may have some thoughts about God, but you don't know God. Because this same John is the one who wrote down the words in his gospel that Jesus said to the disciples on the night before he died on a cross when he said this. He said, you know where I'm going. And they said, look, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way to where you're going? He said, look, I am the way and the truth and the life. And get this part, and no one, underline that in your mind, no one comes to the Father except through me. No matter how many roads you take to get there, if the road doesn't lead through Jesus, it doesn't get you to God. It's got to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of all life. Jesus is the one who gives us the experience of God. Jesus is the one, John tells us, in his 90 years of life, looking backward, who changed his life in a fishing boat and made him aware that God was real and sent him on a mission to stop settling for fish and start sharing with people. Because you see, this relationship with God is where life really starts. You were made for this. You were created for this. You were created to have a relationship with God. I have people every once in a while say, hey, Pastor, I just really wonder, what's, what's my purpose in life? Your purpose in life is to live connected to God. You were born for this. You were made for this. And anything short of this is why you're not happy. Anything without Jesus is why you're feeling so empty. Anything without Jesus is why your life is so dry and stale. It doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you've got degrees after your name. It doesn't matter how, how many people you've, you have working for you. No, 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 no. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know life. He is the one who brings us life. And when he brings us life, he brings it to us so that we'll have a relationship with God. And here's the beautiful part. He, he lets us share that life with other people. See, a relationship with God allows us to share life with other people who have experienced Jesus. Here's the way John says it. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. I have been amazed in my two trips to spend time with the Church of God in South Asia at a custom they have there. Uh, it's a custom that takes place during their camp meeting convention every year. It happens after all the conferences. It happens after all the meals. It happens after the evening service on Saturday night. Saturday's a full day. You've got conferences. You've got graduation. You've got all kinds of stuff going. I mean, there was one day, this was the scariest part to me. There was one day I, I actually spoke for five hours. Some of y'all are getting real nervous right now. But I did like a 90-minute, a couple of 90-minute sessions and a, an hour session and a half-hour session. And at the end of the day, I was so tired, I, I, I didn't want to hear me talk anymore. And, uh, and, and then they said, and we're going to have the communion and feet washing service. And I'd been to this once before. And it's unlike anything else I've, I've ever been a part of. It starts about 9.30 or 10 o'clock on Saturday night before the convention ends on Sunday morning. And the pastors from these 175 churches 
plus leaders from their lay leaders from their churches, their wives, their children. These people gather, a few hundred people gather in a room. All the women culturally sit on one side. All the men sit on the other. And the women are all wearing white with white prayer shawls over their heads. The men are all wearing white. They allow, they allow preachers from the U.S. to just wear a white shirt. <laughs> and, and they have rows of chairs. And the rows of chairs, at the end of each one, there's a bucket about this big. And it's filled with water. And on the end of each row, there's a, a long towel about this long. And um, they start the service and they, they come to the place where it's time to wash one another's feet the way Jesus did in John chapter 13. And whoever the person is on the end of the aisle steps up and they wrap that long towel around and they take that bucket and they go to the next person and they reach and wash their feet. Now, I've been a part of services like this here in the States, right? With teenagers here at Eastside every Monday, Thursday. And, and I appreciate the fact that most of you wash your feet before you come to feet washing. I appreciate the fact that you put clean socks on. That's a nice thing, okay? But I'm in India where people wear sandals. I'm preaching in a place with no air conditioning when there's dirt everywhere. And I'm kneeling in front of a, of a man who's been a leader and been the president of this, this Bible college ever since it started. Over 40 years. And this elderly gentleman has worn sandals all the time. It was the first time in my life that, that when I took someone's feet and I put them in a bucket of water, I, I actually had this feeling like, oh, this is what this is about. This is taking the dirt and the dust off of his feet. This is actually a washing. It's not just a symbol. It's a symbol and it's obedience. And, and I'm doing that. And then when I rise up, hug him and pray for him, and he takes the, the towel and the same bucket and goes to the next guy, I, I look out, and there's this amazing thing happening. Because you see, the, the students at the Asia Bible College, a fully accredited school in South India offering a Master of Divinity degree and a Bachelor of Theology degree, has students who, who've come to learn and come to study. And they're sitting in the midst of all of these preachers and, and, and they're so full of energy and they're, they're just a lot of fun. Kind of like some of you guys from AU and Ball State and the other places you guys wander in here from. And they're a lot of, they bring a lot of energy and a lot of joy and, and, and I'm looking at, but here's the thing. They've never washed anybody's feet before. And there's this one student and it's now his turn and, and he's standing up and he's, he's, he's taking this, he's looking at this towel and he's kind of trying to, do this, and I mean, he ends up like all wrapped up in the towel. And, uh, and there's this older minister sitting next to him, and he gets this look on his face like, oh, brother. And then he just kind of walks over to the young man, puts his arm around him, and says, let me show you how to do this. And he unwraps him, and he shows him how to take the towel and put it around. And then together they kneel in front of the feet of one of the other students. And he shows him, now here you take his feet and together they wash feet until the young man, tears running down his eyes. He, he looks and says, thank you for showing me how. 
Now, why would I tell you that story when I'm talking to you about the fact that, that we experience God through Jesus Christ so that we can share life with one another? Because that's life. He was sharing what he knew. You see, there are some things that, that I know that you might not know, so I need to share them with you. And there are some things you know that I might not know, and you need to share them with me. And this journey called being a follower of Jesus isn't something you can do in isolation. It isn't something you can do by yourself. It isn't something you do because, well, I know Jesus, and I'm just going to heaven. I don't need church. No, no, no. You need people who know Jesus in your life. Because they're going to run into some things and you're going to run into some things. And along the way, you've got to have somebody there to show you how to live it. You've got to have somebody who looks back over a, almost a century of life and says, this is how I did it. Because you see, that's why John wrote to the first century church. And why his words are still valuable to the 21st century church. Jesus is the source of life. And you can experience him. And when you experience him, he gives you a relationship with God. And that relationship with God is meant to be shared with other people. That's why John says, we proclaim this to you so that you may have fellowship with us. But there's one more thing that happens. You see, when you share life with others who've experienced Jesus, it leads you to a discovery. So you discover the complete joy of a life connected to God and his body. Here's the way John said it. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. One of the professors at the Asia Bible College is a brilliant young theologian who I met two years ago. His name is Srijith. He's in his early 30s. When we met a few years ago and we were talking and I asked him to tell me his story, he said, well, I was born into a Hindu family. I was raised in a Hindu village. I began to study all the the teachings and the writings of the Hindu faith. But as I studied and as I learned, I, 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 there was just always something missing in, in it. And, and somewhere, someday, I, I, I stumbled onto a Bible and I read about this Jesus. And suddenly all the questions that I had about life that I couldn't find an answer to in the Hindu faith, I, I found it in the life and teachings of Jesus. And I came to a place where I gave my life to Jesus. My family didn't like it. I, I was pretty, pretty good academically. They had plans for what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to salvage the family. And, and they couldn't see me doing that if I, if I wasn't a Hindu like they were. And yet, Jesus changed me. So I went to Bible college and then I went to seminary. And now I'm almost finished with a doctorate. And, and Pastor Kerry, if you would, would you pray with me? I, my wife and I have a child, and the, our, our son, he's, he's sick. Would you pray for our son? So I did. Before I, I left, I asked him, I said, Srijith, can you tell me what your name is? What does it mean? He said, it means 
one who wins. One who wins. And so, when I went back this time, after the surviving the road trip out into the country, after preaching on the Sunday morning, I went over on Monday morning to visit with the classes, the students at the Bible college. Professor Shredrith was there. He walked up to me and he said, Pastor Kerry, do you remember me? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I remember you. I love you. I love your story. I love your mind. You're brilliant. He says, yeah, do you remember praying for my son? I'm like, yes, I, I, I do. How is your son? And he looked at me just as calm. He said, he, he lived for six months after you were here. And then he went to be with Jesus. And I said, I am so sorry. He said, yeah, it was a hard time. But when I heard that you were coming back, I, I wanted you to know how grateful my wife and I were for your prayers and how God has blessed our life in these years since we were together. I said, what do you mean, Shreejith? You just told me that, you just told me that, that your son died. He said, yes, but God gave us a daughter. You get to meet her this week. Here's her picture. And with the pride of only a dad, he pulls out his cell phone and, and is enlarging the picture so I can make sure I see his little girl. And I said, Shreejith, you really do win, don't you? He said, no, Pastor, my name means God wins. My friend, I, I don't know what's happening in your life, but here's what I know. I know that, that the testimony of people like my grandmother and the, and the testimony of people like the Apostle John is that you can, you can trust Jesus. He is the source of life. Everything that is was spoken into being through him. And everything that is, he sustains and he holds together. And no matter how deep your heartache and no matter how bad your heartbreak, he is here. And you can know him and experience him. And when you do, you're going to start a relationship with God that's deeper than anything you'll find anywhere else. And you get to share it with others who have also experienced God. And when you do, you're gonna discover a joy and a peace that is complete. So I wanna encourage you, go onto our website, open up the app on your phone, sign up to be a part of a small group. In fact, those of you online, even if you're in another place in the world, you can go there too and, and you can actually start a group where you are. Or maybe here in Anderson or maybe in your dorm, students. Maybe that's what God's asking you to do this semester. We've, what we've done for you is we've, our staff has prepared some questions. They'll follow the sermons from each week. But we've also prepared like a two-minute intro video for each week that kind of sets the tone. You can download that. You can show that. You can, you can spend time asking the questions. But over these next, these next six weeks, from now till the end of February, 
The greatest thing in your life is not going to be the Super Bowl. The greatest thing in your life is the opportunity to experience Jesus. And we want to invite you to do that. In fact, what I really want to invite you to do is right now, right here, wherever you are, I want to invite you to open up your heart the way John did that day when Jesus helped him catch a bunch of fish and told him, that's not enough. I've got more for you than this. Jesus has more. He has your life if you're willing to simply let him be.